Well, good morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 52. Psalm 52, as we continue our study of the Psalms this morning. Now, as you remember, as we have gone through the Psalms, we spent some time in Psalm 1. And in Psalm 1 was laid out for us two divergent paths. There was the way of blessing and the way of destruction, the way of righteousness and the way of the wicked. Now, the way of the righteous in Psalm 1, if you would remember, was described as a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. On the other hand, the way of the wicked was described as chaff that the wind drives away. And chaff is that outer kernel uh, that just it covers your maybe a piece of corn. You know that uh, when you pop the corn, it just kind of flies away. That's what chaff is. And that's the way of the wicked, that it has no life. It has no rootedness. It just blows away. In Psalm 52, this contrast between two ways of life is explored further. And yet this time with a greater emphasis on the ultimate destruction of the wicked. And what we will see in Psalm 52 is that those who would follow the way of life must first know the end of the wicked. So hear now the word of the Lord, Psalm 52. To the choir master, a mascal of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you now in this time. We ask, Lord, that you would give to us your spirit in abundance that we might truly see. For we know that the things of God are only comprehended by the spirit of God. And so we pray that you would give us such a mind that we might know your word and that we might trust it unto eternal life. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. So who is Doeg the Edomite? 
The heading of the psalm lets us know the occasion on which David wrote this psalm. And we are told, again, that it was when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Now, in 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22, we have the background to this psalm. David was on the run from King Saul, who was viciously jealous of David. Now, while on the run, David came to a holy site called Nob. And there he was, he received help from the priest Ahimelech. Now, we are told that Doag was present to see this happen. Later, Doag acts as the informant to Saul, who is chasing after David. And he tells Saul that Ahimelech had helped David along the way. Listen to how this situation plays out in 1 Samuel chapter 22. And the king, that is Saul, said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And they knew, and he fled, and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn and strike the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priest. And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of priests, he put to the sword both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey and sheep he put to the sword. It was a horrible situation. For you have the righteous on the run and the innocent being slaughtered. And while the wicked remain in their power and keep their lives. And the question that this episode must rise, raise in the minds of those who would follow after the Lord is, will the wicked forever prevail and the righteous forever perish? What good or benefit is there to those who follow the way of the Lord, the way of faithfulness and honor, when those who lie and scheme and even are willing to murder seem to be the ones who prosper? It is a question that must be asked by every generation, everyone who would seek to follow in the way of the Lord. The prophet Jeremiah in his day asked, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? When we look around at today, it feels as though that there are there are people in places of power and influence, and yet they have very little regard for the well-being of those under their authority. It feels as though politicians are more interested in re-election, in power and money than they are in leading our country in proper When we see peaceful protests erupt into riots and the wicked co-opting the good intentions of others, we can become discouraged. When churches are scapegoated for meeting together during the pandemic and judged by a double standard in relation to the gatherings of others, it's frustrating. Even as in the recent case before the Supreme Court, in which Nevada's double standard favoring casinos over churches was upheld by the highest court of the land. In his dissenting opinion, Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote, 
The world we inhabit today with a pandemic upon us poses unusual challenges, but there is no world in which the Constitution permits Nevada to favor Caesar's palace over Calvary Chapel. Justice Alito added that Nevada would discriminate in favor of the powerful gaming industries and its employees may not come as a surprise, but this court's willingness to allow such discrimination is disappointing. You see, while it might be troubling to hear such things, we should not be surprised when the powerful are given the opportunity to continue in their ways. And the church is not allowed to meet together and worship. For those who have power will oppose the righteous. And when they have the chance, they will even bring the righteous to destruction. So, why follow the way of the righteous then? If the wicked oppose it so violently. Why follow the way of the Lord when it seems that the way of the wicked prospers? Well, what we'll see in Psalm 52 is a revelation from God that shows to us the whole story. For a while, the wicked may triumph. For a while, the evil may sit in places of power. But the Lord is moving and by his hand of power, he will bring true justice to this world. And if you would faithfully follow after the Lord, you must know and understand this truth revealed in Psalm 52. You must recognize the evilness of wicked people. You must see that the wicked will be destroyed. And you must see that those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, though they die, will live forever. So first, you must recognize the evilness of the wicked. It's a strange phenomenon within the human psyche that makes excuse for those who would harm and abuse us. And yet, case after case shows children making excuses for their neglectful parents, wives making excuses for their abusive husbands, citizens accepting the tyranny of their Rulers. If you followed the case of Jerry Sandusky, you know that many of his victims defended him. And while as Christians we are called to love and to forgive, we are never called to say that evil is good. It is not forgiveness to make excuse for wickedness. It is not love to call a villain a hero. And while the Word of God teaches us that we are not to judge unjustly, it does not forbid us from calling sin, sin. Rather, it implores us to bring sin to the light, to call wickedness evil. And that is what we see in verses 1-4 through of our psalm. David is declaring the wickedness of Doag. He says, if you'd look there again, He's addressing Doeg personally, right? Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. 
You can see the sarcasm in David's voice here when he calls Doag a mighty man. Right? Coming against priests, women, children, infants. Oh, you mighty man. Central to David's description of the wicked is their love of falsehood. See the words that are used to describe the wicked. First, they are workers of deceit. You see there that they love lying and they have a deceitful tongue. We also see that they not only speak lies, but they use their lies for the purposes of destruction. They're like a razor that cuts to the quick. They devour The final thing I want you to see about those who work evil is that they love. They love what they are doing. They boast of their wickedness as though it were a good thing. They love evil more than good. The words they speak devour. This is what is so insidious about evil. It disguises itself as good. The poison presents itself as medicine and then destroys its victims. And therefore, we must call out the poison for what it is before it destroys more. Now, we might feel uncomfortable with this labeling of evil as wicked, calling out evil. And yet we need only look to the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he was not adverse to calling out those who were workers of evil, taking advantage of those who were under their authority. In his condemnation of the scribes and Pharisees, he reveals the wickedness of those who had deigned to be righteous. For he says in Matthew 23, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. And ultimately, these men conspired together to kill the Lord Jesus Christ, to murder the Son of Righteousness Himself. For though they hid behind a veil of lawfulness inside, were lies and a love for evil. Now, when I say that we need to call evil, evil, I'm not saying that you need to be going around calling out everyone with whom you disagree. Saying, oh, they're evil. Oh, they're evil because they don't agree with me. I'm not saying that you should be calling evil that which you just personally or politically disagree with. Rather, I am saying that as a Christian, you need to be able to discern between the works of wickedness and the works of righteousness and be willing to speak the truth about each. And the hard reality is to see the deceit of others, you will have to begin with your own heart. You will have to begin calling out the sin that is within your own soul. You will have to allow the Word of God to shine its light into the dark places of your life and be confronted with the reality that you too love what is false. That is your sin that caused even the Son of Righteousness to suffer death. 
If we are to endure the hardships of following Christ in this world, we must recognize evil, call it to repentance, beginning with our own hearts. The next thing that we see in our psalm is that if we would endure the hardship of following Christ, we must see that the wicked will be destroyed. They will receive a due punishment for their sin. Again, listen to David's words in verses 5 through 7. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. How do we continue in a world of hardship when the wicked seem to prosper? We see that their end, their ultimate end, is destruction. Look at the imagery used to describe the work of the Lord against those who are workers of evil. It says that God will break down the wicked forever. They may triumph for a day, but unto eternity they will be broken. Next, it says that God will snatch them from their tent. Then it says that He will uproot them. Think of weeding the garden, pulling out those invasive roots that come in. The wicked are like kudzu that have taken over your yard. And the Lord will come and root it all out. We'll come back to the response of the righteous. But see in verse 7, why the wicked have pursued their path. It's because they would not look to the Lord in faith. They would not make the Lord their refuge, but they trusted their ability to make enough money and to accumulate enough power to build themselves a fortress here on earth that they believe no one can violate. But it is by their very works that they are bringing about their own destruction. Think of Doag. He was thinking of preserving his own life and winning favor with the king by turning in a Ahimelech in his house. He thought, you know, if I could impress the king by putting the priests of Nob to death, then I will secure for myself a place within the kingdom of Saul. But in reality, the refuge that he sought in wickedness was his own destruction. And so too do we, when we follow after the things of this world, place our trust in riches or in our own power. It is these very things that we think will be our refuge that will bring us to destruction. The doctrine of hell has fallen on hard times. Pastors don't want to be labeled a hellfire and brimstone preacher. People feel that they need to make excuse for God. But the Word of God does not shy away from the end of the wicked. And we need to understand why. It is for the sake of the righteous. For the righteous need to see And they need to fear the wrath of God against wickedness. More than any other figure in the Bible, it is the Lord Jesus who speaks of eternal punishment. 
He speaks of hell as a prison, as outer darkness, and as a fire. He says that there will be weeping and that there will be gnashing of teeth. And while we don't have time this morning to develop a well-rounded understanding of what hell is, we must understand that when this life is over, those who remain in their sin and therefore outside of Christ will enter such eternal punishment and destruction. Without softening, without apologizing for God, without equivocating because of loved ones that we all have who have died apart from Christ, we must know that the wicked will be destroyed by God forever. We must see it, Christian, and we must fear God. For if we are not allowing, if we have not come to Christ and His atoning blood, this will be our end. You must see it, young ones, and fear God. For you cannot rely upon your parents' faith, but you must turn from your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. You must see it, mothers and fathers, and you must fear God. For there is none righteous. There is no one. And hell is our just reward. You must see it, seniors, and fear God. For you are entering the final stages of your life There is not much time left to be reconciled unto God through Jesus Christ. And so you must run to the Lord Jesus Christ. You must see it, skeptics, and fear God. For if you ask questions your whole life and never come to a conclusion, to a day of reckoning, you will meet an eternal end. For in this world, We will never endure in the way of Christ if we do not know where the wide, easy path ends. Even as the Lord Jesus Christ says, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. You see, the way is easy that leads to destruction. And therefore, we must see the end And we must run to Christ for shelter and for protection. You must see the evilness of the wicked. You must see the destruction of the wicked. And the final thing that this psalm teaches us this morning about enduring in the way of righteousness is that we must believe that those who die in Christ will live forever. Look at verses 8 through 9. There we read, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your hand for it is good in the presence of the godly. You see, unlike the wicked who will be uprooted, the righteous will be like a green olive tree. This is a picture of health, fruitfulness, and life. Despite the work of those who are evil to destroy the righteous, in the end, the wicked will be destroyed and the righteous will thrive. The next thing that we see from these verses is that unlike the wicked who take refuge in their own works, the righteous trust in the work of the Lord. They trust that God will intervene to accomplish the promises that He has made in His Word. 
And third, we see that the righteous will give honor and glory to God for their life. Because it is the Lord who has done it. It is the Lord who gives them life. It is the Lord who causes His chosen to endure in the way. It is all of His grace and nothing of our works. And finally, we see that the righteous are to wait on the Lord's name in the presence of the godly. What this means is that those who endure, who would endure in the way of the Lord must patiently wait for him to bring about his ultimate justice. For it will seem a long time in coming, but the Lord will bring it about in its proper time. Now, these are great promises. For we see in these verses a pledge that the Lord will bring life to his people as they patiently trust in him. But how does that work? For the priests of Nob. How does that work for the men and women and children and infants who were put to death? How is life brought to those who lose their lives at the hands of evil men? Well, we see as we move forward through God's word. That is in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that these promises come to pass. For it is in the resurrection that God has vindicated His Son and He has opened up the grave. The resurrection is the great turning point in history because it displays the truth that the wicked will die a second death and the righteous will come forth from the grave to live a second life. That the priests of Nob and that their families will be raised from the dead and they will have eternal life are to use the words of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, though he has been put to death, though the innocent have been slain by the wicked, yet shall he live. That's the promise that we have to hold on to in this world. If you would endure in the way of righteousness, you must enter through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must trust in Him as the One who has freed you from the pains of hell by paying the penalty for your sin on the cross. And you must ultimately trust that He is the One who will make you like a green olive tree planted in the house of the Lord. That is, though you will die, yet you shall live eternally because of His resurrection power. For He will give all who trust in Him life eternal. And so we need not be surprised when the way of the wicked seems to prosper for a time. We need only wait and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. For His day will come and He will humble the proud and He will exalt the humble. There will be a day when the wicked will be punished and those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ will be vindicated. Even as we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony you have 
believed. You see, Doag and Saul had their day. But the Lord Jesus Christ will vindicate David and the murdered priests of Nob. He will vindicate the infants that were put to the sword on that day. For He will raise them from the dead and He will bring justice against Doeg and against Saul. And to you who see the wickedness within your own heart, you must repent, turn and trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and know that all who turn to Him in faith and trust in His righteousness and not their own will be planted in the eternal house of the Lord and will live forever and ever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to You at this time. Lord, and we know that as we speak of the wicked, that apart from the, Your grace, apart from Your love to us through Jesus Christ, that the words addressed to the wicked are addressed to us. As we reflect and as we see the sin within, we realize that we love deceit. And so we pray that You would change our hearts and that we would run to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. We pray, O God, that You would give to us in the days ahead endurance in the way of righteousness, even when we see wickedness prevailing. Would we not look to the short-term prospering of the wicked, but may we have eyes of faith to look forward to the eternal future of the wicked and the eternal future of those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in His name that we do pray. Amen.